That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. By the way, I've got a couple of events coming up. These are just free drop-in anytime you want. Powell's is doing a virtual bookstore event. I'm having a conversation with David Corton. This is about the, my new book, which is out in the next few weeks. It's called The Hidden History of Monopolies, How Big Business Destroyed the American Dream. And the uh, Powell's event will be on the 25th of this month of August. And the Town Hall Seattle event will be on September 4th. And you can get more information about that over at TomHartman.com. Just an FYI about what I'm up to as uh, you know, we continue. What Trump is up to is uh, further gutting the post office. Louis DeJoy, who is the $2 million donor to the Trump campaign that Trump put in charge of the post office, on Friday uh, did what has been referred to as the Friday Night Massacre. He removed two uh, senior executives and displaced 23 top postal executives in all, basically a 33-person reorganization of the senior management of the post office. Why? Well, in all probability, it appears to mess with our election and to set the post office up for privatization, for Federal Express to come in or some other company and buy it. But probably the biggest news over the weekend is that while Trump was hanging out with millionaires and billionaires at his country club where you pay $350,000 to join, and they all you know, stood there and syncopatically applauded him, most not even wearing masks at one point, which is just bizarre. He said that he was signing four executive orders. Now, that's a lie. He signed one executive order and three things called memorandums. I got this email from the Trump campaign the president just signed four executive orders. Well, like I said, that's a lie. He signed one executive order. That, that one executive order we'll get to in a minute, but it doesn't do anything. But we'll go through these. Anyhow, it says the president just did this. And then bullet points. This is in the email that Trump sent out to tens of millions of people. Extending unemployment benefits, preventing evictions, extending student loan relief, and payroll tax cuts. Now, these are all lies. These are all just plain old flat out lies because, you know, we've got a grifter in the White House who has lied, you know, 20 some odd thousand times since he came into office. And these are stunning lies. I would bet almost anything if I were a betting man, and, and occasionally I am, <laughs> mostly in casinos, but and even there very rarely. But I would bet almost anything that Mark Meadows is behind this. Mark Meadows is the guy who owes his career to Charles Koch and his network of people. He was the, the chair of the Tea Party Caucus in the House of Representatives, virtually all of the members of the Tea Party Caucus. You know, in a large chunk, probably the large majority of the Republican Party overall, both at the state and federal levels around the country, owe their careers to Charles Koch and his network. But Mark Meadows in particular. And you know that, you know, if Trump sat down with Pelosi and Schumer and McConnell, that they would probably work something out, you know, because Trump wants a deal. But Mark Meadows is playing this hardball because Trump put Meadows in charge of it, or Meadows put himself in it. He's the, the president's chief of staff right now. And, and basically, the Democrats came in and said, we want $3 trillion. That'll be enough to fund $600 a month until the end of the year. It'll be enough to, to offer more money to small businesses who are struggling. 
it will accomplish a substantial number of things, actually. Uh, it would extend the unemployment coverage for 600 bucks a week all the way to the end of the year. Instead, the Republicans are proposing to uh, put into place a huge tax break for 43,000 millionaires. The HEROES Act, the Democrats, it repeals a $135 billion millionaire giveaway. On the unemployment insurance, the Democrats were proposing 600 bucks a week. This is in the $3 trillion bill. The Republicans' $1 trillion bill rebuttal was $200 a week. Uh, the Democrats are proposing $900 billion, almost a trillion dollars, to give to state and local governments because they, their tax revenues have collapsed. You've got states that are on the verge of bankruptcy. The Republicans, no, no money. No money for state and local. We don't care if fire departments go broke. The Democrats were proposing $117 billion in additional support for Medicaid so that, you know, low-income people who get sick with coronavirus could get treated. The Republicans said no, no money for Medicaid. The Democrats were proposing $13 an hour minimum wage for frontline workers, for so-called essential workers, as hazard pay, basically. The Republicans said no to the $13 an hour, and instead they want corporate immunity from coronavirus lawsuits. The Democrats proposed a 12-month moratorium on evictions. The Republicans said no, no moratorium. And by the way, this preventing evictions in Trump's so-called executive order, that's actually the only one that is an executive order. And it doesn't prevent evictions. It orders the Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, which is part of HHS, I believe. It basically orders them to examine, to look into whether it's possible to do this. So you can still get evicted today anywhere in the country. The Democrats in their HEROES Act proposed a $3.6 billion grant for election assistance so that states can like print more mail-in ballots and things. The Republicans, no, not a penny to the states for printing ballots and, and for election assistance. And the Democrats in their HEROES Act said, you know, we want to protect Social Security and Medicare so there will be no changes in those programs. The Republicans want to gut Social Security and Medicare in their so-called HEALS Act. So, I mean, you know, let's just go through this. Trump says he's going to extend unemployment benefits. He, he wants to give everybody in the country who's unemployed 300 bucks, and the state will match that with $100 so everybody gets a total of $400. Well, how does he do that? He doesn't have the authority to appropriate money and give it to people. It turns out that he's doing it the same way he's funding his wall down in Texas. Funding the wall in Texas, he took $5 billion out of the Defense Department and said, that wall is defense, so we're going to spend that down on the southern border. Well, in this case, he says, we're going to, you know, the $300 per person per week. He said, we're going to take that out of the FEMA budget. The FEMA budget has a $44 billion surplus right now, which will pay everybody in the country $300 for about two weeks. But to cut it back so not everybody gets it, so it might last three or four weeks or five weeks or maybe even to the election, Trump says states have to put up 25%. Well, the states have no money. They're broke. So that's going nowhere. And plus, it drains the FEMA emergency fund of all of its money just as we're going into hurricane season and wildfire season. Brilliant, right? Number one. Number two, he says it would prevent evictions. As I said, this is the only one that was actually an executive order, and it was ordering HUD and HHS to look into whether it's possible to do this. <laughs> Extending student loan relief from his uh, campaign email? Uh, no, he has directed the Department of Education to look into whether it's possible. And with the payroll tax cuts, you know, again, no, it's not being put into place. He is directing the Treasury Department to stop collecting your payroll taxes, but you still owe them. So you'll see a 6% increase in your paycheck from now until the end of the year. And then at the end of the year, you owe all that money. And Steve Mnuchin on TV this weekend on Fox News told Chris Wallace, well, you know, if Trump gets reelected, he will make that permanent. But if he doesn't get reelected, you're gonna have to pay back that money. Does this make sense to you? I mean, this is, in my mind, this is just another giant grift. This is just another scam. And meanwhile, our, you know, our schools are in chaos. Testing is in chaos. Our elections are under attack. Uh, you know, a quarter million Americans this will be dead by Election Tom Day. Hartman program. Five million are already sick, and Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate have gone on vacation for the summer.
Really? Your thoughts. Hi, Tom Hartman here. In my new book, The Hidden History of Monopolies, How Big Business Destroyed the American Dream, I'll be taking you from the birth of America as a revolt against monopoly, remember the Boston Tea Party, to the largely successful efforts of both Presidents Theodore and Franklin Roosevelt and other like-minded leaders to constrain corporations' monopolistic urges to the massive changes in the rules of business starting during the Reagan Revolution that have brought us into the cancer stage of capitalism. In the foreword by Ralph Nader, he says, This is the most important dynamic book on the cancers of monopoly by giant corporations written in our generation. End quote. It's the fourth in my Hidden History series. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Democracy starts with you. Tag, you're it. Mike in Lomita, California. Hey, Mike, what's up? Thanks for listening to KPFK. Hey, Don, sounds like Trump is trying to bribe us with our own money the same way he ran his businesses. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to report the end of the week stats from Friday, uh, reporting USA's uh, standing in the world in terms of per capita deaths from COVID-19. This is from a German business statistics site called Statista. And they're a little bit different today, of course, because it's been updated. But as of Friday, the best nation in the world so far is Burundi, followed by Botswana, Vietnam, Uganda, and Rwanda. So we have five, what Trump would call, asshole countries doing the best. Meanwhile, the United States, out of 152 nations listed, is at number 144, with Hmm. a total of 489 deaths per million, which is pretty bad. There are some that are doing worse, but it's worth noting. You've mentioned before that South Korea had its first confirmed diagnosis January 20, same as the United States. However, their total is in the neighborhood of less than six deaths per million. So fewer than six in South Korea, and we're pushing 500. So I I, I think that slogan for the Trump uh, 2020 campaign could easily be death to America. Now that we are 144th out of 152, one of the worst nations in the world in terms of deaths. That is absolutely astonishing. I just I just uh, checked out their website. This looks fascinating, Mike. Yeah, and S-T-A-T-I-S-T-A dot com. And this is something I, I don't hear being reported in the press for some reason. I know they're allergic to talking about anything that happens outside the U.S. or outside of celebrity entertainment culture, but... You would think somebody would consider this a matter of importance in an election year. Yeah, yeah, you would think so. Cases and deaths by country. Wow, the statistics on this are just astonishing. The USA is way ahead of everybody with 5.1 million cases, Brazil 3 million, India 2.2 million, Russia 800,000. Germany only has 200,000 cases. France has 197,000 cases. We have 5 million. Right. Just to say it again, Israel has 83,000 cases. Sweden has 82,000. Of course, these are smaller countries than us, but, you know, this is... Really interesting comparison is in Scandinavia. In Sweden, where they did the free-range herd immunity approach, 566 deaths per million. Across the Skagerrak in Denmark, where they use proper public health measures, only 106 per million. So wow. more than five, five times, times as high. Difference. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you, Mike. Good to hear from you. I appreciate the call. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code HARTMAN, the two ends before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. 
Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. On this week's Science Revolution, is a drug maker sitting on a possible COVID-19 cure just due to greed? Dr. Stephen Anstrop, chief scientist for Polar Bears International is here. Could polar bears be lost by 2100? Food and Water Watch's Tony Corbo dissects Cory Booker's bill to protect meat packers and why it's important. In Geeky Science, we'll talk about why the coronavirus vaccine may not work well for obese people. Now that's a big problem. And lastly, Michelle Obama speaks about anxiety during the pandemic and what we can all do. Tune into the Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are available. It is time for Congressman Mark Pocan, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. And the big cheese progressive from Wisconsin is with us taking your calls. And Congressman Pocan, welcome back. Where are you and what's at the top of your list today? Wisconsin. And then we'll be, you know, back in D.C. But otherwise, this is August district period that we traditionally have. And we just finished a ton of stuff. I was out in D.C. for like five weeks in a row, I guess we just kind of figured. But what my mind is on is really kind of COVID, 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 and maybe a little on the election. It also, we've got to get this package done. Too many people are hurting without that extension of unemployment benefits. We need to support our state and local governments that are providing services. We need to support our frontline workers. And I know Nancy Pelosi has been fighting very hard, along with Chuck Schumer, for all those things uh, as the negotiations proceed. It seems to me that this coronavirus, in a way, I hate to call it a blessing in disguise, because you know, I mean, it's just devastating people's lives. We've got 25 million people, you know, uh, unemployed and many of them on the edge of homelessness and just, you know, it's just ripping our country. Mm-hmm. And yet what it has done when you compare how the United States is responding to this, and I'm not talking about Trump's incompetent medical response to the virus, but if you look at Canada, if you look at Europe, 
they're not experiencing huge problems with widespread homelessness. They're not experiencing problems with unemployment rates going above 10% because in part, or in large part, because they have strong social safety nets. You have free college education in all these countries. So you don't have young people struggling with student debt. You've got heavy unionization. So workers are backstopped. You've got a, a, you know, a government that has a, a strong tradition of social safety nets. And so it's directly supporting individuals rather than running everything through banksters and big corporations. And you've got a national health care system in each one of these countries. It seems to me, Congressman, that this moment is awakening a lot of Americans to the core humanity and practicality of the progressive message. And I'm wondering if you share that perspective and how Democrats and particularly progressives in the Democratic Party can leverage this moment into true transformation of this country in a positive direction. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on, Tom. In fact, uh, just use Medicare for All as an example. We could already see the movement in the polling, people understanding why uh, we need to make sure that everyone would have access to health care. And it shouldn't matter, you know, how you've gotten this uh, disease that you need to have support in you know, while we did uh, cover testing for people, there's still a lot of other expenses and long-term expenses people are going to have related to health care. And it's really helped us to make the case, why are we the only industrialized uh, nation that doesn't have universal health care? Uh, just that issue alone, um, you know, we're really seeing the progress. And in so many other areas, we can make the argument uh, how other countries did it better because they had uh, different policies in place. So it really is that kind of a moment. And I think especially, you know, with uh, hopefully uh, Joe Biden uh, winning in November and maybe flipping the Senate and having the House, uh, then it's incumbent we do something with it, right? Not just talk, but actually do something about all those issues. Yeah, I'm in. Well, Joyce has got a bunch of callers uh, set up, ready to go. So let's just jump right on it. Deborah in Grand Rapids, sure. Michigan, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, fellas. I was wondering if either you or the congressman knows that or how the Jared Kushner and Trump decision to not test and trace as a political policy, if you know anything about I I view that as negligent homicide myself. And I was wondering if there in the future can be any way that these people can be charged or, you know, is there some legal ramifications that could be done for their negligent homicide action? Yeah, Deborah, I'll tell you, um, yeah, I use those words myself, and I know those are pretty strong words to use, but I, I truly believe that the president's not like he didn't have the information because we've heard it from Dr. Fauci and so many others, and yet he just chose not to act, whether it be not initially using the testing that was available worldwide to uh, not getting it out quick enough to not uh, providing the resources we need, as you mentioned, for contact tracers and others that can stop the spread for not uh, doing, uh, getting everything we can to get PPEs and reagents so you can run tests. You know, that's one of the items you need to actually be able to process tests uh, done in time. Everything he's done, I, I wish negligence was the least word I can use, but I think it was almost malicious, too. Um, even on masks, you know, I think he sees, every time he sees a mask, he sees uh, a symbol of what he did wrong, and that's why he's been so strongly against mask wearing when we know it's the one logical, doesn't matter if you're the farthest right conservative, the most left-leaning progressive, uh, that's one thing we should all be for because it helps to reduce uh, people getting COVID, and yet we've had a problem getting that done in this country. The second part of your question is going to be difficult. I don't see how we uh, actually find a way to... to charge him with all of this, but uh, hopefully what comes out of this is, uh, one, he's not reelected, and two, uh, we learn how as a nation to act differently and cover issues like this differently. Mitch in Madison, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. We've got a minute and a half to the break. Hello, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Congressman, my question is, uh, I run a small business in Madison, and uh, we were breaking even and turning a profit earlier this year, but since COVID hit, we've had to close our doors. Um, and my family's having to sell our house to pay back our business loan. Is there any steps Congress is taking to make whole the people who are losing everything because of this? Yeah, I, first of all, let me just express, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Mitch, you know, so many restaurants, um, bars, meeting industry, uh, tourism, go down the list of businesses that are impacted. 
Um, there have been some support, uh, you know, efforts out there with PPP and some loans, and um, you know, we're hoping that there'll be something in this next package again that addresses small businesses. Because as you may know, since you live in my district, Mitch, I'm a small business owner myself uh, of a specialty printing business. That um, you know, we have something to, to help folks. The tough part is, you know, once uh, if you've had to fold the business, I don't know if there's anything I've seen in packages to help folks there. Um, just the same reason we're trying to have eviction protections and other things, because after the fact you've lost the home, I don't think there's as many things as you can do. And this is part of uh, what happens when you have a once-in-the-century pandemic and you have uh, a government that didn't respond correctly and didn't deal with this in a way like we've seen so many other countries. So, um, Mitch, I wish I had a better answer for you. I, I would recommend you reach out to my office since you do live in my district, and we can try to help you uh, identify any resources that are out there. But it's going to be difficult. It's a tough time. It's a tough and scary time. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hey, we have a new video over at TomHartman.com. It is the 12 steps. Common Cause actually put these together, but I boiled them down into a nice little rant on a YouTube video that you can share with friends and neighbors and acquaintances who might be wondering, how did this coronavirus thing get so bad? Why is it that the United States has a third of the deaths in the world? Why do we have over 100,000 dead people and South Korea has 200 and Taiwan has like 70 and Australia has fewer than 100 and has pretty much squashed the virus. Why is it that only seven people died in New Zealand? Why are so many other countries doing so well and we're not? 
Well, there's an answer to that question. And I lay it out in this little video. It's over at TomHartman.com and you can grab it there and share it with your friends. And I'll give you a clue. Almost all of it has to do with things that that orange guy in the White House either did or failed to do. But it's a great list. You can check it out at TomHartman.com. Margaret in Emmonclaw, Washington, I'm here with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Tom. Thank you for everything you do. And uh, Congressman Pocan, I'm curious, is there a way that somewhere it has to start? And I'm trying to tell everybody I can, and I'm putting a little ad in the paper if I have to under, you know, the, in the columns about, please, when you vote this November, take your ballot to an, an official ballot box instead of putting it in the mail. And I was curious, is there a way that as a congressional group you can get it out to your people that are constantly in touch to spread it around that this November bypass the mail system and and put your ballot into a box instead of a mailbox? Yeah, and let me add to that, Congressman, today in Portland, we've got three of, I don't know how many total postal you know, main systems there are in Portland, but three of them are running right now these new rules that uh, Trump's postmaster general, yeah. who made a $2 million contribution to his campaign, put into place. And at one of those three locations, the postal workers today are basically going to be picketing because they say it's, it's intentionally slowing down the mail here in Portland. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so, Margaret, first of all, elections are run slightly different in localities and states. In Wisconsin, we don't have a place you can just drop that ballot off. You have to either go into the polling place on Election Day and then you've kind of defeated the purpose of why we have mail-in. So I, I think this is what I, the way I would recommend it. Since we know that absentee ballot generally, if they've asked for it early enough, goes out six or seven weeks before the election, when they get it, fill it out right away. And you can mail it. And even if it's delayed a little bit, you still have plenty of time. And you can often verify that uh, it's been received. But I wouldn't necessarily recommend people wait until Election Day to turn it in. And while maybe Washington has a box you can leave it in, and that would be a good solution, and certainly uh, people should do that where they can, that's not going to happen everywhere. So I would just recommend when you get your ballot, fill it out as quickly as possible and make sure it gets in, because that way you've got enough extra time to make sure that you know it'll get counted. There you go. Do you think that Congress is going to be able to do something about the post office? Can you stop yeah, the president is really fighting hard against us trying to get the funding there. So I don't know if it's just about the election, if it's just about his fight with visas, if it's just about privatizing, but this is something he is fighting really hard on in the negotiation. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's fighting for his life. He wants to stay out of prison. Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hey, did you know that Hillary Clinton actually won Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina, and Florida in the 2016 election? It's on page 92 of my new book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting. Congressman Mark Pocan with us for the hour, taking your calls. And Morris in Long Beach, California, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Congressman, the big blue wave is here. But that's not why I called. Congressman, would you be interested in a web page that would help us reopen schools, churches, and businesses? There are new technologies now to help us combat this lethal aerosol pathogens. They're called portable air purifiers. Yeah, Boris, I've heard of this. I still think someone has to be able to buy them, and we have to make sure that they're actually working to the full efficiency and all the rest. I think we're going to, unfortunately, for the schools that opened early in the South, we're going to learn from their experience and see how it's going to work for the rest of the country. I know that there's a lot of strong feelings on this issue that we are able to reopen, but we've got to do whatever we do safely. And I think we're probably going to learn from watching some of these school districts. Don't forget, right now, there's a lot of open air and things like that at the school districts. And as we move closer to fall and winter, that's going to change. So this is something I wish it was a simple answer as a website, Morris. It's not. But I do appreciate what you're trying to say, that we should find a technology that would provide people that safety. Karen in Mount Pleasant, Wisconsin. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. 
Hi, Congressman. Hi, Tom. I received a economic disaster relief loan in March, and I had gotten a small portion of what they had said. And then a month ago, I got a email that says that, please finish your application. So I did that. And then they deposited the rest of the money into my bank. And the very next day, I got an email from Donald Trump asking for a donation. And I want to know how he got my email. Yeah, I, illegal? I don't. Yeah, I don't think there's a connection, though, Karen, um, because he can't get our official emails like that for the campaign. However, I think all campaigns right now are in acquiring email mode. And, you know, he acquired some list that you were on. It just happened to be a day apart. I'm glad you got the money. I thought it was an issue around that. And I was going to say, please reach out to your member of Congress because, uh, you know, you need some assistance uh, to, to get that. But if it's just the email, I, I'm guessing it was just a coincidence because it would be very difficult for the Trump campaign to get something like that, especially the turnaround in which it happened. So I think you can rest assured that there's not a, a pipeline from the government going to Donald Trump's campaign. Ruth in Maple Grove, Minnesota, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hello, my Democratic congressman, along with 29 other Democrats and 30 uh, Republicans, signed a letter to Nancy Pelosi and Kevin McCarthy about the Trust Act, encouraging that to happen. And I'm not sure I understand it completely, but it sounded like it shortened the time for Congress to make any changes to Social Security, Medicare, and something to do with the Highway Trust. And that just seemed like an odd combination. And I want to have you explain if you know anything about the Trust Act. Yeah, Ruth, I don't. Um, There's like 8,000 bills that are introduced, and I do not know 8,000 bills off the top of my head. My guess is how you explained it. It sounds like it's probably, it might be an initiative from the problem solvers, because if it's an even number of Dems and Republicans, that sounds like the things they do. I just don't know enough about it. So I would say, you know, do a Google on it and see if there's a group that you trust that's talking about it and try to get the background. But I do not know yeah. offhand. Like I guess there's 8,000. So, Social Security place. Works is warning that it sets up Social Security for privatization. So, you know, which is worth. why when it had an even number of each, it sounded like the problem solvers. And generally, I find the problem solvers are the problems themselves, not the yeah. individuals, but the Don't organization. Know. It's a group that yeah. got a lot of funding from, if I can, just real quick, Tom, on this, this to explain how Washington sure. organizations work. It. I originally joined it. It was supposed to be about people trying to work across party aisles. Of course, we need to do that in government. As a member, a number of things didn't pass the smell test, and that's generally how I operate. I'm from Wisconsin. I'm pretty average guy, and that's how I think and and work. And uh, in doing so, I reached out to the organization, the Problem Solver organization, and asked who their funders were, because it seemed to be a little skewed corporate. And they told me they would quietly take my name off the membership list. And I said, well, no, that's not what I asked for. I asked for who your funders are. Whenever someone won't share that with you, right off the bat, I've got some questions about the you know, organization. So I trust Social Security Works. If they say something, they're probably right. And uh, you might just want to you know, check what Social Security Works is saying about that legislation. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty straightforward stuff. There are multiple attempts to privatize Social Security. We had Stephen Moore on this show, the president's economic advisor, telling us that uh, we need Mm -hmm. to do away with the payroll tax. Uh, Social Security needs to be funded out of the general fund. Are you guys going to be able to fight this back? Yeah, you know, even you remember the president wants to cut the payroll tax and there's no appetite even among Republicans on this. House Dems are rock hard on Social Security protection, and in fact, a majority of us want to expand it. So I think we're safe. Okay, good. (laughs) That's reassuring because Stephen Moore sounded quite confident. Okay, we'll be back with more of your calls and your questions for Congressman Mark Pocan, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, representing the 2nd District of Wisconsin and the U.S. House of Representatives. Pocan.house.gov is his website. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. And you can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Back with your calls in just a moment. The Hartman Report is a free daily podcast, seven days a week, and you can find our entire three-hour podcast over at TomHartman.com. Welcome back. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us for the hour, taking your calls. Bernard in Westfield, Wisconsin. Boy, Congressman, you really bring out the Wisconsin callers. Uh, You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. (laughs) Hello, Congressman. 
Hi, Bernard. I'm here in, in Westfield, Wisconsin. Well, not in Westfield, Wisconsin. I can't even see my nearest neighbor. I'm so far out of town. But uh, a lot has been made of uh, the lack of high-speed Internet in this country, especially with schools closing. I think you need to uh, possibly pay a visit to Marquette County and find out how a local telephone cooperative could provide its customers with gigabit Internet connections and fiber optics here in the middle of nowhere. It's maybe it could be a model for the rest of the nation. And that's about all yeah, I, I have I, to say on it. Thank you, Bernard. I hear you, Bernard. You know, I live in a, a rural town of 823 people and until two years ago didn't have broadband. So I certainly have experienced what you are and what many people in across the country and certainly across Wisconsin are experiencing. I started a rural broadband caucus, a bipartisan one, and uh, everyone wanted to be a co-chair. So we have three co-chairs on the Democratic side, three on the Republican side, and we stopped making co-chairs, but everyone understands the issue. The problem is a couple things. One, it takes money, and uh, we actually uh, did that in our infrastructure package that the House Dems put out there. Jim Clyburn, our House, uh, our Democratic whip, shared that commission, and, and we know we've got to invest a lot of money in that. Uh, but two, there's states like Wisconsin. The problem is, you know, under people like Scott Walker, when they were governor, didn't allow a little town like mine to be able to form a co-op or to buy from a neighboring community. We had to wait till that big telecom company decided to grace us with their expansion. And usually they'd only do it when they got free money. So there's some challenges at the local levels we need to get around. We've introduced legislation to deal with some of that. But you're right. I mean, especially now with COVID, I think everyone realizes the importance of having uh, internet connections. And it's not just in those rural areas. Let's also remember in urban centers, there's also some issues and we need to address those because uh, to me, having the internet these days is no different than having electricity. You have to have it to exist. Marilyn in Madison, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Congressman Pokian. Good morning, gentlemen. I'm lucky enough to live in Madison where it's easy to vote, but I was contemplating the problem with drop boxes for absentee ballots. Why can't these be dropped at the public library that our Republican legislature has been okay with, like public librarians to register people to vote? I know that for years I voted absentee at my, or, or voted early at my public library. Why, if librarians are entrusted with these activities, why can't there be drop boxes where you could go in and hand your absentee ballot to the librarian? Yeah, you know, in Maryland, I think that's a great suggestion, especially if you made it a box that you know, somehow Republicans couldn't say, say is, is something you could tamper with. You can, though, still drop it off at the city hall or my town hall or anything like that, you know, because the person earlier in the program, you know, mentioned about in Washington state, they've got this pretty prevalent. But I still think, and I want to make sure people have confidence, Donald Trump is trying to break confidence in the Postal Service. I still get all my mail and packages, and even with his rules that will slow things down, they're going to slow things down days and maybe a week. If you wait until a week before the election to mail it, then you're going to have to drop it off somewhere. But if you get that ballot six weeks out, which is when they send them, I think, in Wisconsin, and they believe it's six weeks out, as long as you fill it out that first week or two, you're giving it a month to show up, it will show up. So I have confidence still in mail-in ballots. We just need to uh, be proactive enough to do it early. Uh, and if we wait a little too long, then we're going to have to drop it off at the city hall. But, uh, Marilyn, your suggestion is a good sound one. Jim in Voorheesville, New York. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Congressman Pocan, I have a uh, question, and it's a, um, a deep concern of mine. Donald Trump has been all along, I believe, setting up his dominoes to uh, usurp the election in the fall. And by setting up his dominoes, I mean the COVID virus, his lack of any action on that, and what will be a resurgence or a surge of the virus in the fall giving him the opportunity to declare a national state of emergency and nationalize the National Guard and then the election. Uh, Donald Trump is a devious and evil person, and I do not put this beyond him. And I'm, I'm wondering if Congress or any members of Congress are looking at the possibility of him doing this and what can be done to prevent him. Yeah. So, Jim, you know, people ask this every week. So, you know, I understand the concern out there and certainly People are looking at every possible scenario. I was 
happy, though, to see when the president tweeted out about moving the date of the election, the pushback from Republicans, including Republican leadership, that the election is not going to be moved. And uh, I, I think even though he thinks he's the dictator, um, it's not a dictatorship yet. And uh, he's not going to be able to fully uh, get away with something like that. So I, I certainly understand the concerns. Uh, one good note, uh, and I, I'm always a silver lining person. I, I think it's being from Wisconsin. That's the way we, we fundamentally are. But um, one good note is I have Scott Gottlieb, the former FDA commissioner I follow. He's been, a, I think, a very accurate expert on COVID. And he said that in the Southern Hemisphere, they did not have a big flare-up of flu and other things because people were wearing masks more often. So as long as we really stick to this mask wearing and do it like we're supposed to, um, I think you won't have maybe the big resurgence in fall um, because we'll be practicing the right practices and uh, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that that won't happen. So I certainly hear your concerns. Many people are thinking about that and ready. Um, but you should know that uh, we may not be in that situation um, for a number of reasons, but people are ready for anything. Larry in Phoenix, Arizona, you're on the air with Congressman Pokian. No, oh, thank you. Yeah, my question is about the uh, power grid. I'm concerned about losing uh, power and it would affect everything that we do with the house or electrical thing plus military bases we get hit also why not take the extra 25 million or billion that they gave the military in their last budget to use that to shore up the power grid mm. yeah larry so uh I'm not sure if I'm, I'm uh, you know, super concerned on the power grid, other than we do have infrastructure dollars to modernize it, and that's something we do have to pass as a Congress. But you're on to something else. Um, you know, one of the conversations, you know, I, Bernie Sanders and Barbara Lee and I led the national efforts to try to cut our defense um, budget by 10%. And uh, while we weren't successful, we certainly saw a lot of progress uh, in people moving that direction. And we think there's th this next year is going to be crucial to develop the grassroots to do that. But another idea is you could redirect defense spending in ways that uh, are defense, just not necessarily the traditional military ways. So, you know, uh, working against COVID, those defense dollars obviously are defending our country against it. Defending us against things like perhaps an energy grid or other issues also could be redirected dollars from your traditional military defense contractors uh, to other things that defend the country. So I think you're going to see a lot of conversation in the next year on exactly that aspect of defense spending, and I'm very heartened by that. Great. Corky in Rochester, New York. You're on the air with Congressman Pokian. Hello, Tom. Hello, Mr. Pokian. I'm worried about getting that stimulus out and also worried about my ballot. How soon can I get it? Yeah, generally, I mean, it's going to, again, you know, change state by state, local by local. But I think about six weeks out is when in Wisconsin we mail an absentee ballot. So you will have plenty of time. But I would still recommend filling it out right away. On the stimulus, my guess is there will be another stimulus in this next package. Although, I'll be honest, my preference is that we take care of people who are hurting right now rather than putting out stimulus dollars if there is a competing force for the money. Dean Baker, a progressive economist, uh, recently uh, showed that 28.5% of people who got the stimulus check just put it in the bank uh, because they're worried, right? They want to make sure they've got money should they need it. But that doesn't provide the stimulative effect. It gives Donald Trump a reason to send a letter to say he got you some money. But, you know, I'm far more concerned about people who've lost a job at no fault of their own or a small business that's lost the demand at no fault of their own. And we take care of those people. Do you think that that's going to happen soon? I think they're going to do another stimulus check because we're three months from an election, unfortunately. Uh, makes sense. Congressman Pocan taking your calls in this national town hall meeting. His website, Pocan, P-O-C-A-N.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. He's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Andy represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin in the U.S. House of Representatives. We'll be back with your calls for Congressman Pokian in just a moment. Our book today is Cyber War, How Russian Hackers and Trolls Helped Elect a President. 
by Kathleen Hall Jamison. This is from the introduction. Imagine a strategy memo forecasting cyber attacks by Russian hackers, trolls, and bots designed to royal social discontent and damage the electoral process of a major party U.S. presidential nominee. Or, if she winds up winning, sabotage her ability to govern. Guaranteed payoff, no fingerprints, no keystroke record, no contrails in the cloud. To ensure that Americans would believe that disparaging messages about her were made in the U.S., use Bitcoin to buy space and set up virtual private networks on American servers. Distribute hacked content stolen from the accounts of her staff and associates through an intermediary, WikiLeaks. Use identity theft, stolen social security numbers, and appropriated IDs to circumvent Facebook and PayPal's demand for actual names, birth dates, and addresses. On platforms such as Instagram and Twitter, register under assumed names. Diffuse and amplify your attack and advocacy through posts on Facebook, tweets and retweets on Twitter, videos on YouTube, reporting and commentary on RT, blogging on Tumblr, news sharing on Reddit, and viral memes and jokes on 9gag. Add to the mix a video game called Hiltendo, in which a missile-trading Clinton figure vaporizes classified emails sought by the FBI. Employ online agitators and bots to upvote posts from imposter websites such as blackmattersus.com to the top of such subreddits as r slash the Donald and r slash Hillary for prison. Drive content to trend. To maximize the impact of your handiwork, use data analytics and search engine maximization tools built into social media platforms. To test and fuel doubts about the security of U.S. voter information, hack the electoral systems of the states. And throughout the primary and general election season, seed the notion that if Hillary Clinton were to win, she would have done so by rigging the election, an outcome that would repay her assaults on the legitimacy of their leader's presidency with doubts about her own. Were she instead to lose, she would no longer be a thistle in the toned torso of the hackers and trolls' boss's likely boss. Every result but one produces a desirable outcome for the Kremlin. Outcome one, Clinton is off the international stage. Outcome two, she wins but can't govern effectively. Outcome three, the former Secretary of State is elected and the country simply moves on, but the sabotage nonetheless has magnified cultural tensions and functions as a pilot from which to birth later success perhaps when she runs for a second term. The only eventuality that damages the Russian cyber soldiers and their commander-in-chief is the fourth, in which, in real time, the cyber attackers are unmasked by a vigilant intelligence community, condemned by those in both major political parties and around the world, characterized by the media as spies and saboteurs. The Russian message is blocked or labeled as Russian propaganda, and when included in media accounts, the stolen content is relentlessly tied to its Russian origins and sources. None of that, however, happened. Instead, to the surprise of the Russian masterminds, as well as both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, he won the Electoral College and with it a four-year claim on 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Although countrywide she bested him by almost 2.9 million votes, he unexpectedly captured an Electoral College majority by running the table. By the end of the evening of November 8th, Florida, as well as Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania were in his column. The ways in which Russian hacking and social media messaging altered the content of the electoral dialogue and thus contributed to Donald Trump's victory are the subjects of this book. To begin my exploration, this overview chapter will highlight key findings of the U.S. intelligence community, preview my focus on the hackers and trolls and the synergy between them, justify casting the Russian machinations as acts of cyber war, outline ways in which susceptibilities in our system of government and media structures magnified their effect, and note five presuppositions that will shape my analysis of the Russian troll's work, and one that will guide my study of the effects of the hackers. Forming the backdrop for my inquiry are three reports on the Russian intervention of the 2016 presidential election. The October 7, 2016 statement jointly issued by the Department of Homeland Security and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence on Election Security. The January 2017 conclusion of the U.S. intelligence agencies, CIA, FBI, NSA, and the February 2018 Robert Mueller indictment of 13 of the Russians allegedly behind the social media intrusions. On a day that will live in campaign lore, as much for what didn't happen as what did, more on that in a moment, the first of the three revealed the following. The U.S. intelligence community is confident that the Russian government directed the recent compromises of email from U.S. persons and institutions, including the U.S. political organizations. 
The recent disclosures of alleged hacked emails on sites like DCLeaks.com and WikiLeaks and by the Guccifer 2.0 online persona are consistent with the methods and motives of Russian-directed efforts. These thefts and disclosures were intended to interfere with the U.S. election process. Such activity is not new to Moscow. The Russians have used similar tactics and techniques across Europe and Eurasia, for example, to affect public opinion there. We believe, based on the scope and sensitivity of these reports, that only Russia's senior-most officials could have authorized these activities. That's from the report. The next report put a name to one of those senior-most officials and specified an intended beneficiary, Donald Trump. Cyber War is the book. Derek in Seattle, you're on the Earth, Congressman Pocan. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, Congressman Pocan, I'm very concerned about Attorney General William Barr whitelisting all of these extremely questionable and sometimes illegal acts of the president. My question for you is, what can Congress do to limit the power of the Attorney General in order to make sure he's accountable to the rule of law rather than to the president's ideology? Yeah, I, you know, again, this attorney general has acted uh, like the president's uh, personal attorney, which is why you saw the hearing the Judiciary Committee had and, you know, his ridiculous answers to a lot of uh, great questions from our members of Congress, especially the Progressive Caucus. We just have to make sure that there's accountability for any attorney general, that they have to abide in a certain way. And Barr has literally, no pun intended, lowered the bar beyond any attorney general, I think, at least that I can think of in recent memory, in how he's acted and how he's enabled the president and just allowed him to get away with almost anything. So we have an opportunity, I think, when we have the elections in fall, if we can take the Senate and the House, hopefully, if we have to put safeguards in place, we can. If we find that in reviewing what happened, there were some weakness in our laws around the attorney general, I think we'll have that opportunity to fix that. Tom in Auburn, Washington. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thank you, gentlemen. Is McConnell pushing for liability immunity for businesses and billions for the military in this latest COVID relief bill? I'm sorry, I missed the immunity. What was the other issue you asked? If uh, McConnell was trying to stuff uh, military pork and corporate immunity into the new stimulus bill. So I think he really does want to stuff corporate immunity, and, and that's a big fight we're going to have because it's the opposite direction that we're trying to do in providing protections for frontline workers. You know, he did, they did do stupid things in the Republican Senate bill, but I don't think that they're going anywhere. One was spending for additional F-35s. Another was doubling the exemption for two martini lunches for small businesses as if that's going to help restaurants. Yeah, they were ridiculous, but they probably had some member who wanted it thrown in a package, and they did. But I doubt that those are serious. The last part are serious ones moving forward. The immunity they're very serious about, and it's a real battle we're having on this package. And you're guessing that instead of giving people $600 a week on top, you know, on top of the regular unemployment or even 200 or $400 a week, that instead it's going to be, here's another $1,200 check for everybody? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's going to be both. But, but that's the problem. Uh-huh. Is we need to fund local and state governments. We need to do a lot of things. The money that goes towards a, a stimulus check, if it's not, not really providing stimulus to the economy, is misdirected money, in my opinion. We should help people who need it most. I do think there'll be additional assistance for unemployment. The question is, can we get that $600 again or not, or how high can we get? Right. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the clarification. So he tore children from their parents and put them in cages and ordered the U.S. government to pay $750 a day to for-profit companies that support his candidacy and his campaign and his presidency. Number one, I mean, here's a list, a partial list of some of the crimes of Donald Trump. Refused to release his tax returns, made his fortune largely through financial fraud, has been accused of sexually assaulting multiple women, became president as a result of the involvement of a foreign government in part, became president in part because he paid hush money to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal. He described Nazis and white supremacists as very fine people. I mean, this goes way beyond the tan suit. We've got the entire list, the whole list of all of Donald Trump's crimes in a new video we post over at TomHarbin.com, so you can check it out there. He needs to be impeached. This is Mark Pocan taking your calls for the hour. Annie in Watertown, Wisconsin. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I sent my 
ballot absentee off in April really quick. I didn't look at it so much, but I finally opened mine Friday and looked at it and reading the directions carefully. And it's not initialed, and I called around everybody else, and, and all theirs are initialed, and it won't be counted if it's not initialed. And, I mean, do I have to go in now to get it initialed? If I do, it sort of defeats the whole idea of staying home. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's one thing you, you're right. You should look for right away, Annie, because that means the clerk just made a simple problem. They might be able to send you another one if you call to them right away. And you can turn it around, but you may, and then you may have to drop it off in person. But you could drop it off at your local unit of government, not necessarily on election day. In Wisconsin, Tom, we have a primary on Tuesday, so I know the dilemma ah. she's facing. But you know, that's why when you get that six weeks out, you can check to make sure it's it's ready to go, it's proper. You can fill it out, and you'll have plenty of time to get it in. So thanks, Annie, for raising that, because that's a good point, why people should look at the ballot when they get it, and even more important, fill it out as soon as they get it so they don't have a problem. Steve in Standardsville, Virginia. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, hello. I have a real simple question. What can Congress do to try and combat all the fake news that's put out there by Fox and Newsmax and some of these crazy websites? Because it's really affecting about a third of our voting population. And I just don't even see if Biden wins, and I'm sure he's going to, how he's going to be able to govern when so many people have been brainwashed with this stuff. Thank you. Yeah, I hear you. I have a little bit different theory, Steve, though. I also think that there's a substantial portion of that limited amount of people that still support Donald Trump, no matter what, who are largely racist, and they're backing him because of those views, and therefore they'll accept pretty much anything else from their president because they're feeling somehow they're afraid of what's happening uh, to the country rather than being proud of what's happening uh, with our country. So I don't know if it's just the media sources in and of themselves. I think there's some people who the reason they do whatever Donald Trump says and they believe whatever stupid thing uh, that comes out of his Twitter account is because uh, they're just so happy to have uh, someone who shares their xenophobic or racist views. And I, you know, I would have said that four years ago, but watching people stick with him, even on COVID, as poor uh, as his performance has been, tells me there's something more to it. Kathy in Fresno, you're on the air with Can- uh, Congressman Pocan. Hi, I did not receive my first stimulus check and I qualify for one, my wife and I. And on the IRS gov site, there's my social security is not matching up with my um, address. And there's no way to talk to anybody. I don't know what to do to be able to get my first stimulus check. And I've sent in a paper uh, refund, my tax forms, April 14th, and I still haven't received my refund. Yeah, Kathy, I'm glad you called. So this is for anyone who knows someone in your situation. This is a good reason to call your member of Congress or your U.S. senator. That's why we have caseworkers in the office, because, you know, if you were if you qualified, you should have gotten it. The problem is at some point they said that they won't be sending checks out. It'll just be something for the future for your tax refund. So you'll still get it, but you won't see it now. Again, doesn't provide any stimulus. That's why I'm not a big fan of this concept of a one-time check. Regular payments, I'd be a big fan of, right, because that would make some sense. But a one-time check just because Donald Trump wants to send you a letter and then your situation and others uh, is why it doesn't perform that stimulative effect. But call your member of Congress or your U.S. Senator and have their office do some casework and help you out on this. Yeah, it's also possible if somebody stole her Social Security number and she's the victim of fraud in that regard, she should double check that too, eh? Yeah, that's why when you check, they can find all that out for you because I know it's hard to call the IRS and get those information yourself. There you go. Judy in Denver, quick question. Yeah, the Treasury is pretty money like it's going out of style, and they are now going to be giving trillions of dollars to other dictators like Bolsonaro of Brazil. Can anything be done to stop this? Thank you. Yeah, so I, I'm not sure if I fully understand it. I think Judy means the dollars. Fed. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Um, uh, you know, Judy, I, let, let me put it this way. I mean, a lot of people are concerned about, I'm going to do it from our perspective of Congress, deficit or debt spending. And yet there's a lot of good economists. Uh, we had Robert Reich on the call with the Progressive Caucus. I'm forgetting the person who just wrote the deficit myth book about modern monetary theory. I mean, we often, when the economy gets uh, strong again, it builds us out of this. But this is the time 
that we have to spend money on ourselves at least. And, you know, some of it can be assistance to countries who really need it, but not if it's something that obviously is just going to a pal of Donald Trump's. But this is the time for us to be spending trillions of dollars to get us out of this hole to make sure that Americans aren't hurt and they don't lose their homes and they can feed their families. So uh, I'm in strong support of the most robust package we can do that makes sense. That would be in Congress. Yeah. Congress, we're we're, yeah, we're we're hitting hitting the end of the hour here. Thanks so much again for dropping by every week and talking with us, Congressman Pelkin. Of course, Tom. Thank you, as always. Thank you. Yeah. Great talking with you. Hey, Tom Hartman here. Just wanted to give you a heads up that we have an absolutely free newsletter. You can subscribe to it over at TomHartman.com. And every day, Sue, who works on our newsletter, puts together what we call Sue's Daily Stack. It's literally a link to every story I have referenced on the air in the program. And it goes out an hour or two after the show is off the air. And it's just absolutely extraordinary and something I think you'll find really useful. So, Check it out at TomHartman.com. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag. You're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.